You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguda, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and thank you for joining me live, if you're with me live, on this very late night edition of the show. Of course, the 8.15 kickoff uh, meant that everything ended quite a bit later. By the time I get back from the Emirates Stadium, set up the show, uh, have a, a breather, grab a drink and sit down to do the show. It can be quite late. So, um, yeah, thank you uh, to those of you who are joining me live. Thank you to those of you who will be watching or listening to this back a little bit later on as well. OK, so it finished at Emirates Stadium, Arsenal, nil, Liverpool 2. And I don't really know how to feel about this because there is a feeling of disappointment. I've come home feeling quite dejected, quite frustrated, quite disappointed. But I also have been very big going into this game on the whole, well, this is not going to define our season. So it, it, it sounds almost hypocritical of me to now be sitting here and say that I'm frust- saying that I'm frustrated, that I'm disappointed, that I'm upset. Um, but yeah, it's you can't help but feel like that. And I guess on the one hand, you know, that's a consequence of Arsenal doing well. You know, when Arsenal play well, you you look at the team and you start to kind of get this false sense of belief and you start to think that, hang on a minute, we're not a million miles away from a Liverpool or a Manchester City. But the reality is that we are. We're quite a way away from teams of that standard, of that quality. When I think about Liverpool's performance tonight, it was like, you know, when you see those memes where you've got like a a bully, and I know Tom Canton's used this, um, analogy quite recently, and that's what probably why it's fresh in my mind. But you know, when a bully kind of like holds the kid uh, with, he's kind of got the palm of his hand on the kid's head, and the kid's swinging punches, but he can't reach. That's what it felt like tonight. That's what Liverpool did to us. They kept us at an arm's length throughout, and when their opportunities came along, they took them. I mean, both goals came from Arsenal mistakes. You know, I felt that. Recently, we'd kind of done really well in terms of cutting out those mistakes, but they reared their ugly head again today. And it's when you're as good as Liverpool, when you're as confident as Liverpool, when you're as solid as Liverpool, you can do that. You can keep teams at arm's length and basically wait until either you fashion an opportunity or they gift you one. And on this occasion, Arsenal gifted them one. In terms of the team that Mikel Arteta went with, I've got no complaints. It's it's the team I probably would have gone with. Um, you know, so I have no issues in that sense. Liverpool surprised us a little bit by leaving Mo Salah out. He did come on in the second half. Um, but, you know, it was pretty much as you expected in that particular department. In terms of the overall display, I don't think it was that bad. And that's why I feel frustrated. That's why I feel disappointed. You know, Peeny Ween in the comments says, mistakes come in these games from pressure. Come Villa will be fine again, I'm sure. That's a really good point because that's exactly where the mistakes come from. You know, you you can feel the intensity within the stadium. 
you can feel that this game was on a knife edge up until, of course, Liverpool took the lead. And that does add a pressure and perhaps you overthink things. And perhaps as a player, um, you, you can get caught up focusing on one aspect and then end up falling short on another aspect of your game. And and that's unfortunately what happened tonight. Look, let's talk about some individuals. Let's go into it a little bit deeper Let's talk about the goals, actually, before we do that. And let's talk about the first one, because this was really disappointing for me. Now, right at the start of the game, I thought Arsenal had a bit of a shaky period. I thought we allowed Liverpool to kind of get into the game quite quickly, quite early. And, you know, maybe we didn't allow Liverpool um, to do that. Maybe they're just good enough to do that. But we did look a little bit shaky. We conceded a series of corners. Aaron Ramsdale had to make that save down to his left from Virgil van Dijk. And so I thought the start was not ideal. But we very quickly seemed to regain our composure and then started to play some of our own football and started to look a lot more comfortable. And then at the start of the second half, we did exactly the same thing. We came out and we didn't really look at the races. We didn't really look ready for another 45 minutes of Liverpool. And a sloppy start to the second half saw us uh, see the ball end up in the back of our net when the ball was played through. I think it was Sadio Mane that finished it. And luckily for us, the flag went up. And that to me was a warning sign. That to me was, come on guys, you've come out for the second half, half asleep. Fix it, sort it out focus, concentrate. That was, as I say, the warning sign that we hadn't started the second half as well as we should have, because the way Liverpool cut through us, albeit offside, was too easy. And then just a few moments later, we get cut open again way too easily. And it was in that kind of uh, in-between channel, that half space, if you want to call it that, between Cedric and Ben White. Jota just picked up position there and got slotted through. But I thought, Although when I saw it at first glance and when I watched it kind of unfold in front of me in real time live, my first reaction was, that's awful. How the hell have we been split open like that? When you watch it back, and I have watched it just just the highlights since I've come home. When you watch it back, actually, Arsenal don't do a lot wrong. They still manage to contain Jota in the sense of they've kept him at an angle from which he should never score from. He shouldn't score from there. He should be forced to go back across the goalkeeper. And if he doesn't go across the goalkeeper, then anything at the near post should be cut out, should be saved by Aaron Ramsdale. And I'm not saying that Aaron Ramsdale is a bad goalkeeper. I pl Please don't take my criticism of Aaron Ramsdale on one particular moment tonight um, as me kind of saying that we were wrong to sign him or that he's a bad player. I'm not saying any of that. He's been a brilliant sign and he's been a breath of fresh air and he will continue to develop and he'll continue to get better. But he's got to save that at his near post. And I think Aaron Ramsdale knows that because at the end of the game, when the crowd, who were brilliant tonight, by the way, many of whom had stayed back at the end of the game to kind of applaud the players as they walked around the pitch, Aaron Ramsdale was, kind of, was, was clapping the fans and in between he kept going like this. Uh, and it wasn't a wave, it was a you know, I acknowledge that I made a mistake. I acknowledge that I contributed to our defeat this evening. So he knows that he could have done better. He knows that he should have done better. And that's in stark contrast, though, isn't it, to what we saw from Alisson, 
who is an elite goalkeeper, who is right at the top of the game. Aaron Ramsdale could well be on his way there, but he's not there yet. He's not at Alisson's level yet. And I watched Alisson really, really closely today. He's always on his toes, always on the edge of the box, always able to come out and clean up anything that falls uh, in behind Joel Matip and Virgil van Dijk. But that save that Alisson made in the second half before uh, the goal, I think it was before the goal, um, was just was just so huge. Because Arsenal had been a little bit fortunate in the way that opportunity came about. I think it was Thiago's back pass uh, towards Alisson and Alexander Lacazette managed to pick it up. He sort of tried to round him, Alex Lacazette, but you're kind of hoping in that situation as a striker that the goalkeeper will commit, that he'll dive down and then you can take that extra touch either wide of him or you can just dink it over him as he's coming out to you. But Alisson did neither. He stayed on his feet. He didn't dive down at the feet of Alexander Lacazette. He didn't um, He didn't give him any opportunity to dink it over him. And he forced Lacazette to turn back, lay it off to Martin Odegaard, who took a touch, was closed down really, really quickly, but was denied by a brilliant stop from Alisson. And this is the thing, you know, a goalkeeper has the potential to win you points by making big, big saves in big, big moments. And Aaron Ramsdale has won us plenty of points this season. So again, let me reiterate the point that I'm not sitting here criticising Aaron Ramsdale as Arsenal's goalkeeper overall. But I do think that tonight he cost us in that that goal, that first goal, that decisive goal, the goal that meant that we had to open up a bit, the goal that meant that Liverpool got their noses in front, Aaron Ramsdale's got to do better for it. It's as simple as that. In fact, it's black and white. Bear with me one second. There we go. Need to charge the phone. Otherwise, how else am I going to scroll through Twitter for the next hour, reading everybody else's opinions on the Arsenal game? So, yeah, look, the, the goalkeeper thing was a big deal, you know, and... Again, you know, not to dig out Aaron Ramsdale for his overall contribution to Arsenal this is absolutely not what I'm intending to do, but he has to do better in that instance. And that's the type of mistake that you can't afford to make against a team from whom, if you want to take points, if you want to get a result, you pretty much need to be flawless. It's as simple as that. And Arsenal, I thought, were flawless for most of the first half, barring maybe the first five minutes. And then we're actually pretty flawless, barring a, what, 10-minute period, 15-minute period in the second half? Yeah, what, 10, 12 minutes? But it, it just wasn't good enough on the night. You know, I think there was a couple of things that were clearly missing from the Arsenal side this evening. I, I thought that Alexander Lacazette, although he's been great of late, kind of reminded us tonight of why we do need a striker who's a little bit more imposing, who's a little bit more physical, who's a bit more of a threat in behind. You know, he just looked lost in the land of the Giants. And I'm talking about in between Virgil van Dijk and Joel Matip. I thought that a, a, a better striker, a poacher maybe, or somebody who's more of a poacher might have got on the end or closer to one of Gabriel Martinelli's brilliant balls across the front of the six-yard box. I thought there was, you know, I just thought that Lacazette was lost tonight. There was a, a moment in the first half where I turned around to my mate next to me and I said, 
Look where he's positioned. He pulled himself out pretty much to left back because he wanted to get involved in the game, because he wanted to get the ball and he wanted to try and have some sort of impact. And that, to me, was indicative of the fact that Alexander Lacazette felt lost and felt like he couldn't compete with Matip and Van Dijk in the heart of the Liverpool defence. So, look, Lacazette is what we've got at the moment and we have to continue to support him. Overall, he's been very, very good and he's been really, uh, or he's had a really positive impact on the players in and around him. Was delighted for him when he got the goal against Leicester, but we all knew that we needed an upgrade in that position anyway. So what we saw tonight was a reminder rather than a revelation. It was something that... Um, you know, we were well aware of, but we were reminded of this evening. Moving on to some more individual performances. I've talked about Aaron Ramsdale. I, you know, that mistake for me was was poor and it cost us. But, you know, he's got credit in the bank, Aaron Ramsdale. You move on to right back. I thought Cedric actually had a pretty decent game. You know, going into the game, one of my big fears, one of my big worries, one of my big concerns was that Cedric was going to get ripped apart by Luis Diaz or Sadio Mane or whoever uh, they wanted to play out on that left-hand side. And particularly in the first half, I thought Cedric was brilliant. I thought he read the game well. I thought he was good in his distribution of the ball. I thought he, um, you know, I thought he defended uh, very well overall, but just seemed to be playing with a confidence and a confidence that's come from a run in the team and a run of games in which he's performed to a relatively high standard. So, yeah, I thought he looked good for the most part. Did he struggle a little bit in the second half at times? Probably, but I think a lot of our backline did, and we'll come on to talk about some of the rest of them in a minute. Ben White um, had a decent game tonight, not as good um, in terms of progressing the ball, I didn't think, as he usually is. He, he always looks, doesn't he, Ben White, for that ball over the top towards Bukayo Saka and normally he executes that ball quite well and gives Saka a greater opportunity of getting on the end of it. I know he came up against a very good Andrew Robertson this evening, but Ben White's execution of those passes was not quite as accurate as it normally is. Gabriel was was very good at the back, apart from, I thought, for the second goal. Um, you watch when the ball breaks down the left-hand side, obviously Saka gives it away. And then Robertson cuts it across the front of the six-yard box. And I just think that Gabriel is too slow to react to Firmino's movement. Now, I know Firmino has got a wonderful football brain, is a really, really clever player, and um, and he's capable of doing that. But he just seemed to, uh, you know, click that little bit quicker as to what the situation was developing into. And he managed to get across the front post and with a deft touch, beat Aaron Ramsdale and double Liverpool's lead. So I thought that was the only kind of black mark on Gabriel's performance. I thought Kieran Tierney had a good game tonight. Um, moving into midfield, I thought Thomas Partey was brilliant again. Um, you know, he did a really, really good job of marshalling that midfield. Very tidy and neat in his play. Uh, very good passing um, in terms of trying to break lines, but also in terms of knowing when to just keep it simple. I thought he was very, very good tonight. Again, Thomas Partey. And I said it against... Uh, after the Leicester game. I've said it a lot in recent weeks. We're finally starting to see the Thomas Partey that we all thought we were signing. Uh, so another good performance from him. He deserves lots of credit. Did worry uh, when I saw Liverpool's midfield of Fabinho, who just sits there as an anchor, 
uh, and does a similar role to Thomas Partey. Uh, but then, of course, Jordan Henderson uh, is full of industry, full of work rate. And then, of course, Thiago Alcantara is a, is a wizard, a magician with the ball at his feet. And I wondered if Thomas Partey was going to have his work cut out tonight. But the reason he didn't um, was partly because he performed to a very, very high standard, but also because I thought Granit Xhaka next to him had a very good game. Look, Granit Xhaka was aggressive in his position and he was getting forward in that kind of half space. He was doing the role that we've been talking about so extensively in recent weeks. But he also was a lot more disciplined at certain points. And that was, I, I, look, I don't know how much of that was the manager uh, sort of instructed in pre-game that, you know, this is Liverpool. This is not a side that we're expected to beat. This is a side who we're going to have our work cut out against. So I want you to be a little bit more conservative in the way that you go forward. Or if it was Granit Xhaka taking it upon himself and managing his performance, um, you know, off of his own back. But either way, I thought he had a really good game. He was neat and tidy with the ball at his feet. I thought he was strong in the challenge. And I thought he did a really, really good job of helping Thomas Partey to contain that Liverpool midfield. And let's be honest, we did contain that Liverpool midfield for large, large periods of the game. Moving a little bit further forward, Martin Odegaard, I thought, really struggled to get hold of things tonight, to get a hold of the ball, to get on the ball and to dictate the play. Now, it's never easy against a side of Liverpool's quality, but I felt like Liverpool had worked uh, specifically on cutting out the supply to Martin Odegaard. He, he really did struggle to impose himself. And as a result, I, I think he felt that, you know, I think as a player, you know when you're having a good game and you know when you're not. And that impacts the way you um, operate moving forward. And I think you could see that the confidence was shot a little bit in Martin Odegaard quite early because when he did start to get on the ball in certain scenarios in certain areas, he... He just rushed it a little bit. He just was a little bit rash in his decision-making and he lacked a little bit of composure, which is not something you normally say about Martin Odegaard. But with Martin Odegaard, and to his credit, you have to say, even when on the ball, he's not giving you necessarily what we know, all know he can, he's giving you work rate and he's not letting the team down in that sense. So credit to Martin Odegaard uh, for that. But Kayo Saka... Didn't look great to me tonight. Um, I've got to be honest, a couple of moments where I thought he got caught on his heels. I thought there was a move where we played um, some really nice stuff on the left-hand side and Granit Xhaka swept the ball out to the right-hand side. And a lot of people in the stadium were kind of, you know, as they do, um, sort of critical of Granit Xhaka with that particular pass. But I just thought that Bukayo Saka, who was completely free, by the way, on the right-hand side, had just got caught on his heels a little bit and was just a little bit too slow to react. There were other moments where I didn't think he was at his sharp and brilliant best. I said it against Leicester. I think he's been, uh, I think he is a little bit tired. Um, I really, really do. I think he is, for me, someone who's in need of a rest. I think he's somebody that Mikel Arteta feels he can't afford to rest. But, you know, and look, you don't rest him against Liverpool and you won't rest him against Aston Villa. But he's he's looking a little bit burnt out to me, I've got to say. In complete contrast, on the other side, Gabriel Martinelli was brilliant. Gabriel Martinelli was the bright light, the shining light on a disappointing night for Arsenal overall. He completely um, dominated Trent Alexander-Arnold. I thought he pinned him back fantastically. 
I thought he uh, was was dangerous every time he received it. I thought he was aggressive. I thought he was um, technically very good in terms of his his ball control, taking down some really difficult passes, being pinged and smashed at him from all areas of the pitch. I thought he had Trent Alexander-Arnold on toast. Unfortunately, on a couple of occasions, the end product wasn't quite there. Um, but, you know, the fact that he can just glide past people. Gabriel Martinelli is one of those players that gets you off your seat. You know, he gets the ball out on the left wing. And if you think back to the old days, one of the things I used to love about going to football, and, and obviously now where I am in the stadium, um, you know, on the on the North Bank, everybody's standing anyway. But one of the things I have fond memories of as a kid of going to football is that when everybody would be seated and the ball would get to the player, the player that everybody expected to make something happen, everybody would get up and you could hear that noise of the seats kind of flipping back up. And that's what Gabriel Martinelli makes me think of. He's one of those players that you want to jump off of your seat for. And, and, and he continues to develop and he continues to show everybody that he is one hell of a talent. We are so fortunate and so lucky to have this guy uh, on our books because he's brilliant. I thought he was really unlucky not to score with that uh, sort of Thierry Henry-like shot uh, late on in the game. But yeah, you know, he was, as I say, the shining light. He, he was energetic. He was tricky. Um, he caused Trent Alexander-Arnold all sorts of problems. He put two brilliant balls into the penalty area, one in the first half and one in the second. And as I say, maybe if we had a more clinical or more sort of a ruthless-minded striker, is that the right term, or, or more of a fox in the box, if you want to call them that, perhaps we'd have turned one of those chances into the back of the net. But Martinelli was um, was very good for me tonight. And he is the positive. On As I said, on Sunday, when we were talking about positives, and there were a few on Sunday, it was all about Martin Odegaard. He was at the centre of all the positive discussion around Arsenal. And although it's a disappointing night tonight, although the result wasn't what we wanted, when the dust settles, I think a lot of people will look back and go, you know what? We got beat tonight, but that Martinelli, he is some player and he really, really is, uh, really is. Moving on, I've talked about Lacazette already. I don't wish to kind of further stick the boot in on Alexander Lacazette, but I just thought we saw some of his shortcomings this evening. And and it was, as, a, as I mentioned earlier, a reminder of the fact that we do need uh, to improve in that position and we do need to add in that position if we're going to take the next step forward. A couple of other bits I want to touch on sort of outside of the game, outside of the 90 minutes of football um, as I said, to kind of summarise and, and I guess finish up on that section, I, I thought that Liverpool contained us for the most part. I thought we did have some chances, didn't create enough, though, to justify winning the game. Um, but yeah, you know, we were um, competitive for large periods, but it always felt like Liverpool were able to keep us at arm's length. And as I say, for them, it was keep Arsenal at arm's length trust that you will create a chance, trust that you will take an opportunity or capitalise on a mistake. And we gave them uh, some things to capitalise on and they did it because that's what ruthless and top sides do. Outside of the actual football, uh, I saw something really bizarre at the Emirates Stadium tonight, something that I've never actually seen before. I've seen plenty of people over the years 
come out of the crowd and run onto the football pitch. And I don't know if this was shown on the telly. So please let me know in the chat box. Because normally when someone runs on the pitch, the TV channels are like, well, we don't want to give this person airtime. We don't want to give them what they want, which is publicity. So we're going to turn the camera the other way, which is always a little bit annoying, I think, um, when you're watching a game on the TV, because you kind of want to see what's going on. And a lot of the time, as long as they don't go and, you know, abuse someone or go and get in someone's face, it can actually be quite funny. But this guy had climbed out of the North Bank, run on, and you, and I caught him out of the corner of my eye, sort of running onto the pitch. And I thought, oh, he's going to run across the pitch. He's going to give it the usual wave at the crowd and all of that jazz. Instead, he went and sat down with his legs crossed. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you saw this on the TV, I think he tried to cable tie his hands to the post. He put his hands around the post and he used something anyway. I couldn't see from the distance, but he used something to try and tie his hands to the post as if he was like protesting against something. What is the world coming to? It's like, I mean, I've never seen that at a football match. That is weird uh, to me, but I guess it gave us a little bit of a laugh when the game wasn't necessarily going our way. Um, but there you go. We'll, we'll, we're going to come on to talk about Mikel Arteta's uh, post-match press conference as well. We'll do a full review of it uh, on tomorrow's show. Um, and, and I'm also going to be joined by Tom Canton tomorrow at 5pm. We actually met today uh, for the first time in person at the game. Good to see you, Tom. Um, but we're going to do a show tomorrow. So we'll talk about it in a lot more detail um, across the two shows tomorrow. But he's had a little bit of a rant about the fixture scheduling and he's had a little bit of a go at the Premier League and he's sort of sarcastically thanked them for putting our fixture list the way they have, i.e. playing Liverpool tonight and then going to Villa on the early Saturday game. He's also had a moan about where the Chelsea game has been slotted in, which I had a bit of a moan about on Twitter yesterday. But he's really agitated in that press conference. Check it out. Have a watch of it. The press conference, not the post-match interview, the press conference. And watch the last minute or so of it. It was a very short press conference. But have a, a look at the last minute of it. Um, really, really interesting. And, and look, people will um, will be critical of him and people will say that he's got no right to kind of act in that way. I, I love it when our manager shows a bit of fight. And, and a bit of passion. I, you won't catch me complaining about that. But I, I moaned about it yesterday. He's absolutely right. The way the fixtures have come now and the way everything has landed means that top four isn't... Well, top four was never a given, but it means even more so now that it's not a given. And it's something that we've got to be, uh, I think, mindful of uh, as we continue through the remainder of the season. It's it's going to be hard. I think Mikel Arteta started making changes towards the end of tonight's game, not because he thought that Eddie Nketiah or Nicolas Pepe were going to get us back in the game, not because he thought um, that was that was the case, not because he wanted to take Martin Odegaard off, but because he would probably had one eye on Saturday, recognised that this was a lost cause and felt that he needed to protect some of those players going into what's a huge game now against Aston Villa at the weekend. Um, just a quick one. I just want to say a massive thank you uh, to Vijani Bali uh, for your very, very kind uh, super chat donation. Thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. As I always say, you guys' donations and you guys' subscriptions uh, on the channel really do um, help. They allow me to spend more time uh, with the podcast and uh, developing the podcast and working on the podcast. Uh, so I appreciate uh, all of you. 
Uh, and uh, thank you, Vianney, for your very, very kind donation. Just a quick reminder while we're on that point, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. Let's try and get up to uh, around about 100 likes by the time that the stream ends. It shouldn't be uh, a problem. So please do hit the like button. And also, if you're new, make sure that you're subscribed to the channel. We are on the road towards 20,000 subscribers. Uh, just before we continue uh, through the rest of the show, uh, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to get your questions in the live chat. Uh, please, please do that. Um, get your thoughts in, uh, get your questions in, and I'll address as many of those as I possibly can uh, between now and the end of the stream. But I just wanted to uh, bring you guys up to speed uh, with the Dennis Burkamp signed and framed Arsenal shirt uh, over at Football Prizes. We've been advertising uh, the draw and telling you guys how you can get involved in it over the last few days. Well, that is now sold out. The 99 tickets that will be going into the draw uh, are now sold out. So you can no longer enter it. So if you missed the boat on that, I am sorry. But I did tell you uh, over the last few days. So that for those of you that did enter, the live draw takes place on Friday, 17th of March, uh, which is uh, in a couple of days' time at 8.30 p.m. Uh, I think it's on their Facebook page live. But if you go to the link in the description, if you have entered, there'll be information on where and when you can catch that draw. Um, what a wonderful prize that is, by the way. Okay, uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Crook says, uh, that was me, Harry. I was trying to nod it in from a lack of assist, talking about the guy um, that, that attached himself to the post. Um, Dave says they said he tried to handcuff himself to the post. The reason I don't think it was handcuffs, and, and look, I might be wrong, you know, I, I haven't seen it back or anything up. I might be wrong, but the reason I don't think it was handcuffs specifically is because it was so easy for the um, for the, the stewards to just pull him away. Uh, it was really easy. But then he gave it this whole, I'm going to be a pain in the arse act now. Um, and you're going to have to lift and move my dead weight. And he made it really difficult for them to get him off the pitch. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Stefano Lorenzo, slightly critical of Mikel Arteta, who says he should have made changes at 1-0, though, Harry. Um, look, I think there was less than 10 minutes between the two goals. It was eight minutes between the two goals. You know, maybe he should have made changes um, a little bit quicker. Maybe. But when there's eight minutes between the two goals... I think that's a little bit harsh. Look, a substitution, you know, you, you send players out to warm up um, and you, in theory, you want to hope that they're as close to ready as they possibly can be for when you want to call upon them. But it's not like we were one nil down for a long period of time and we didn't act or we weren't proactive in trying to put that right. We were very quickly then two nil down. And, and at that point, Looking at that Liverpool backline, I didn't feel that we had any chance of getting back in the game. And I thought it was right to then start uh, shifting the focus without totally capitulating and, and whilst maintaining some pride. But I thought it was important that we shifted the focus to Saturday. And look, we're going to find out on Saturday if that was the right call or not and if we benefited from that at all. Uh, big hello to Albert, who says, I've just watched the press conference. And to be honest, I loved his reaction, Harry. Me too. Uh, he says, great to see you again at the game tonight. Yeah, and you, mate. Uh, and a big shout out to George as well, who I met at the ground uh, tonight. 
um thank you for coming over and saying hello um it is it is great to see some of you guys uh, in the flesh um afsar says don't understand the doom and gloom from some honestly we did very well and i didn't expect us to win anyway yeah look i didn't expect us to win i i, I said in the preview show that i was going to predict a 1-1 draw because i wanted to be optimistic but i didn't feel uh deep down that we had much chance of winning the game of football look nobody wants to use the term free hit and i get that but i've i've always said that if we're gonna finish in the top four it's not going to be because of the games in hand, although they are there and although they offer us an opportunity to pick up additional points and points that could well be the difference between making the Champions League and failing to make the Champions League. I don't think that we could have ever looked at those three games and been reliant on taking points from them. The fact that we moved into fourth before playing those games was really positive and it's why it's given me hope. Um, but a game against Liverpool is not a game that's going to define us. It'd have been nice if we picked up another point because it would have given us an additional cushion. It would have been even better if we managed to pick up another three, but it was always very unlikely, in my opinion. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, Alex Akundi says, are you annoyed with Klopp's behaviour? I feel like he's been poor for the last couple of years. Thought he was going to have a stroke screaming at his players. He was very, very animated. And I caught wind of one of the instances where he had a real go uh, at a couple of his players. I think it was in the first half. But yeah, Jurgen Klopp, I, I, I used to really like him. I used to look at Jurgen Klopp and think, this is everything you want in the manager. Somebody who has the ability to be a disciplinarian. And I'm sure... Um, be the top dog behind the scenes, but also has a human side and has a side that you feel is relatable and a side that you feel like you can embrace as a normal person who isn't in the football sphere. But in the last couple of years, I think that that humility has disappeared a little bit from Jurgen Klopp. I think his head's grown and I don't mean sort of um, literally, I mean, metaphorically speaking. And I think he acts at times like a bit of a spoiled child, particularly when it comes to refereeing decisions. Every manager has a moan. Every manager has a whinge. Every manager throws their arms about, etc., etc. But Jurgen Klopp, for me, is particularly irritating in that sense. Um, so, yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, Peeny Wynn says, what was it like in the stadium when Martinelli went on the run into the box and made Liverpool look silly? Oh, everybody was just in awe of it. Um, particularly where I was in the ground because it was right down in front of me. Um, brilliant to see. He, he's just such a talent. And as I mentioned earlier, the type of player that gets you off your seat. Uh, Jared says, should we start Pepe and Gabby as a duo against Villa and have Laka as an impact sub? I don't think the team will be too different from the one you saw tonight. Maybe Emil Smith-Rowe will come in um for, for one of the wide players, perhaps. But I, I think the team will be pretty similar to what we saw this evening. Look, I, Mikel Arteta's had a moan and had a complaint about the fixtures, and I get that, and, and I agree with him. But I just wonder if he will be... He will see it as such a problem that he needs to deviate away from the team that's actually been performing quite well. Now, I know Mikel is not going to come out in a press conference after a game like this and slag off his players, but he was very complimentary of their performance as a team. And he did say that... You know, we, we deserve to get something from the game. And he, which suggests to me that he wasn't unhappy with the team. He wasn't unhappy with the selection. He wasn't unhappy with individual performances either. 
Uh, Fuang Ha says, uh, Harry, how was the overall sentiment among fans at the Emirates after the game? Hopefully disappointed, but optimistic and proud. That's exactly how I describe it. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, lots of people stayed back again. Lots of people chanting um, and getting behind the team when we conceded the first, when we conceded the second and at the end of the game as well, when the Liverpool fans were in good voice down at the other end of the stadium. As I say, the, the Emirates crowd has been really with this group for a long time now, uh, for a while now, for a good few months now. And, you know, sometimes you can look at social media and you can read com comments and you can listen to kind of uh, sort of views that are maybe hot off the press and views that come from a place of frustration that maybe would be a little bit um, less strong or, or a little bit more toned down the next day or in the aftermath. But I think the Arsenal fans that are at the Emirates Stadium at the moment are very much behind this team. And I think that really, really came across to the players. And it was great um, to see that even after a defeat, the knives weren't out. Um, the, you know, the boos weren't there, the, the moans and groans that we've become accustomed to that I find so irritating over the Emirates, over at the Emirates in recent years, uh, 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 much fewer and far between. So, yeah, look, the, the crowd were very much uh, with the players and it was good to see. Um, I'm going to take uh, one or two more, just one or two more, because it is uh, half past midnight here in the UK. I know some of you guys want to get off to bed. I certainly want to get off to bed. I am shattered. Um, when I go to the games, I'm always shattered when I come back. But to do this after an 8.15 kickoff uh, is is particularly tiring. But look, this is the, the life I chose. So uh, I'm not complaining too much. But yeah, it does take it out of you. Um, let's take this one from Ayoku, who joins us from Canada. He says, I think the boys did okay today. I can see improvements. Trust the process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they did okay as well. It's just those those couple of moments. And look, Granit Xhaka, I think, gave an interview before the game, didn't he, where he spoke about the game and, the, sorry, the nature of the game and that it would be one uh, that is that is going to be decided on the small details. And unfortunately, we got those small details wrong today. Uh, Peanut Butter Jelly Time says, Harry, if you look at other fixtures from other teams in the top four, they're not playing three games within a short period other than Arsenal. I feel this will be our undoing. Yeah, and everybody keeps talking about, oh, you know, but Arsenal had loads of weekends off. It, it doesn't matter. What you're asking um, these players to do is to turn up every three days and play with a level of intensity that just feels impossible. You know, Liverpool can maintain that because they can change like they did tonight two of their front three and it not really have too much of an impact in general, generally speaking. Manchester City can also rotate and freshen things up at times. Chelsea can do it as well because they've got a really deep squad. Arsenal simply don't have that ability. It's why we were worried when the January window went the way it did. It's why we were concerned that the, the size of our squad might be a problem in the remainder of the season. But not only that, when you do rotate, certain players in this Arsenal side, the level will drop off quite a bit. And I don't know if we can afford that. So, you know, it's it's not ideal. It's a horrible situation. We can complain, whinge and moan about it. I'm glad Mikel Arteta has brought it up. I'm glad he's brought it into the public light that he himself behind the scenes is unhappy with this. Does it make the world of difference? Or is it going to change anything? No, um, it isn't. 
maybe it makes the the authorities the powers that be think about it twice next time around because they've been called out on it but it is what it is now and we've just got to focus get our heads down and uh, and play to the best of our ability and try of course and achieve our goals and objectives Okay, don't forget to hit that like button. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you are new. I'm going to love you and leave you. I'll be back tomorrow or later on today if you're listening via the audio platforms with some more Arsenal-related content. We'll continue the fallout from this game. We'll assess some individual performances in a bit more detail and we'll take your questions from the live chat as well. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like. And we will catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.